Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello! If you're hearing this, that means you get the internet. And if you get the internet, that means you can watch the live stream of the live show that we just did recently. We did a half the Noose Olympian, half Potterless live stream live in North Carolina, and it was an absolute blast for TNO. We did the first two chapters of the first book in the Heroes of Olympus series. And for Potterless, we did an improvised Big Brother format where we put a bunch of Harry Potter pets in a battle to see which magical pet would reign supreme. The video has gorgeous visuals and crisp audio, and it's a multi-cam set so it feels very dynamic, like you were there. You can watch that stream until March 17th at 11.59 p.m., and you can get tickets at my website, shubes, S-C-H-U-B dot E-S slash tour. Again, that is S-C-H-U-B dot E-S slash tour to watch the replay of the Half Potterless, Half the New Olympian live show that we did recently. I hope you enjoy it. I'm going to say it like this, put a little emphasis on this. About the time they get to me, I'm like, the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. <laughs> <laughs> What's good? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Newest Olympian. My name is Mike Schubert. I'm the titular Newest Olympian. I never read the Percy Jackson series as a kid. I'm reading them now as a 29-year-old man, and I'm on a quest to determine if this is a book series that we've all been sleeping on. I'm not on this quest alone, though. I am joined by the host of the House of Black podcast. It's Jania Stewart. Jania, how's it going? It is going well. How are you? I am doing very well. I am very excited. It's New year, new us, new book. We're discovering what the heck the Sea of Monsters or the Ocean of Baddies or the Cove of Creatures is all about. Yes, yes. So before we get into the first two chapters of this book in the Percy Jackson and the Olympian series, what is your history with the book series? I know that you are a big fan of them, but how did that all come about in your life? So at the time I started reading Percy Jackson, Rick Riordan was still on the first series. And I think at the time I started reading it, the only one that hadn't come out yet was like Battle of the Labyrinth and whatever the fourth and fifth one are. I know the last one is The Last Olympian. Yes. That's that's as far as I go because I used that to make the name of my podcast. Yes. Yes. So (laughs) like I was reading them, you know, hot off the presses and it was really cool. I remember thinking that it was really refreshing and also like any other self-respecting middle schooler. I was deeply into Greek mythology. So this was even cooler. And then uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, I decided to reread the series. I was listening to them on audiobook. And right now I am on the fourth book of the second set of books in the series. Quick warning, the audiobook switches narrator after the first three and the next person. I don't know his work history or life story, but he's not my favorite. <laughs> oh, no. I have not heard glowing reviews of any of the audiobooks, whether that is yeah. the first few or the last ones or whatever. I've heard various different 
negative reviews, mainly just that the the voice choices, the choices, if you will, are interesting. I will say the second person that they had. So the first guy who's narrating in the first five PJO books is not the same person they have for the first three of the next series. Mm-hmm. So whoever that guy is for the first three of the next series, he's really good. Okay. And he's able to do such distinct different voices. But the next person they got, it's like popcorn reading in class. Like, <laughs> it's like, no, I think I'm just gonna buy the box set and go from there shout out to popcorn reading and shout out to popcorn reading if you were like me an overly competitive person that liked messing with his friends i would always do the popcorn on words that were hard to find like you always got to do it on the and of that's when you hit your best friend josh with the uh popcorn josh pacifico and then (laughs) they get absolutely wrecked i used to like to count ahead so like if we were reading like paragraphs in a textbook or something i used to like to count ahead so like in my brain i was like okay you're gonna say it like this put a little emphasis on this and by the time (laughs) they get to me i'm like the mitochondria is the powerhouse (laughs) of the cell (laughs) you've rehearsed and you've got it in your brain ready to go yeah i like it it's like the middle school version of rehearsing an argument before having it it's pretty great Cool. So let's get right into the first chapter. It is called My Best Friend Shops for a Wedding Dress. And I love that we are right back. We're here with the fun, quirky chapter titles. And what I'm going to try to start doing now is I'm going to try to start guessing what the chapter title is actually an allusion to. So my initial guess here that I took in the notes is that obviously it has to be Grover. But my guess was that either part of his quest went bad and he has to get a wedding dress for someone, but not for him. That was my thought. I was not correct, but I do think that the chapter title is a bit misleading and we'll get into that, but very much so, you know, like (laughs) the wedding dress is, um, the least of our concerns. (laughs) There's quite a few concerns in this seven page chapter. Yes. Of course, you know, there's going to be concerns because right off the bat, it opens with a nightmare. Not good. Not even Percy having a dream, but just, oh, hello, we are zero pages into this novel and Percy is having a nightmare. Not a great start. Percy is in a deserted street in a beach town. And when you thought this couldn't get any worse, he's in Florida. And that's just... Yikes. And so the thing is, you know, he's saying he's having this nightmare and he's saying it's Florida. But I'm like, is it a nightmare or is it daily Florida life? (laughs) Right. I think it's just like you've just said, the daily life in Florida is a nightmare everywhere else. I think it's especially funny because where I grew up in New Jersey, there is such a connection between New Jersey and I think all of the Northeast and Florida, because Florida is where all of our relatives go to retire. retire. So many of my relatives have done this. So many of my friends' relatives, there's this Northeast Florida connection. So for the first book to be New York-centric and poke fun at New Jersey, and now this one to right off the bat throw some jabs at Florida, it feels very authentic. And I'm very proud of Texan Rick Riordan for understanding northeast southeast beefs yeah for sure it definitely seems like as at least the first series goes on that he seems to be a little more knowledgeable about new york like Mm -hmm. i remember listening to the first season and you said that when percy requested like a cab or something and he was like i want to go to east 100 whatever street (laughs) (laughs) it's like maybe he's not such like a narc anymore like he's right, like right. clearly you stand out he spent some time there he's walked around you know seen a few things mm-hmm, i love mm-hmm. that right off the bat like the nightmare knowing what nightmares tend to mean in this series like you know it's always telling them something about the situation that they're dealing with and so 
for it, him to start off a having a nightmare about Florida, b having a nightmare about Florida and his best friend, and it's just it's so cool. Mm-hmm. I do think Rick, going back to the New York of it all, in this set of chapters, he does a good job of making New York references that aren't super obvious. Like he mentions Church Street and Tribeca, which I feel like is the next level of New York knowledge as opposed to the Empire State Building and Grand Central Terminal. So mm-hmm. yeah, he's doing a good job. But speaking of beach towns in Florida, it did make me think of my favorite fictional town in Florida, which is Idaville, Florida, which is the fake town that Encyclopedia Brown solves crimes in. And it is clarified specifically as a beach town in Florida, though it doesn't actually exist. I, in my headcanon, am believing that this dream is taking place in apocalyptic style Idaville, Florida, and Encyclopedia Brown is bicycling around trying to figure out what the heck is going on. (laughs) She's just following behind Grover like, I see something strange. (laughs) Something's going on. So we're here in, of course, Idaville, Florida. Percy, as the narrator says, he's never been to Florida, but he could just sense it. And I think that that's great. It's you just know when it's Florida. You can just tell. I watch like a lot of TV shows where they'll try to film in Florida and say that it's L.A. But like there is a clear difference. (laughs) Even the fact that they're both like hot places with palm trees, like it's just different. Like you're not going to see an alligator climbing a palm tree in LA. Like it's clearly something else here. And I (laughs) personally think it's a missed opportunity that Rick doesn't take the alligators of Florida and feature them into this. I am excited to see if they do end up in Florida, what happens, or if this, what I realized here, it seems like this is a dream that's happening in real time. So maybe there is no return to Florida. We'll have to see what happens. But Percy reveals that he hasn't seen Grover since he left for his quest in July. So in the dream, he says that Grover was hauling goat tail, which I think is pretty funny, just because I feel like if you did Family Feud and the question where you ask 100 people on the street was, I say hauling, you say, I feel like 100 out of 100 people would say ass. Mm -hmm. There's nothing else. So for it to say hauling goat tail is a great adult dad joke, because I feel like anyone over the age of 14 knows what would normally be following the word hauling. It's so funny also because Grover is a satyr. So like he's not a donkey, so you can't even use that (laughs) anyway. (laughs) But one of the things that I love that Rick does, especially later throughout the series, the older they get, is he comes up with very inventive, like not quite cuss words, but more like puns on cuss words like yes. it, it's very much like the good place where they want to say yeah. shirt or mm-hmm. like fork or something like that and it works because it's like the general style of the book series is like i couldn't see another book series like successfully doing that right and it's fun when it's greek themed like in the first book we have examples such as oh sticks so mm-hmm. that stuff is funny so i hope more and more of those come so grover in the stream he's wet and sandy so percy thinks that he just came from the beach and from behind him a large figure bellows and then smacks a street light grover is running and mumbling to himself that he must get away and he must warn them we don't know who the them is but then grover gets to a dead end but he enters saint augustine's bridal boutique because the door is open so he dives in and dives behind a dress and this is where the title comes into play pretty loose definition of shop i would say this does not feel like shopping at all none whatsoever i'm like is he shopping for a wedding dress or like i think there's a different word that we could have used there but i also think that saying shopping you know it leaves so much up for 
interpretation. Like we have no clue what led to this or anything. <laughs> and I know you haven't read ahead, but I have. But knowing what's going to happen makes this chapter title even funnier. <laughs> okay, I am very excited. Yeah, I feel like. You could have said my best friend enters a wedding dress shop. My best friend visits a wedding dress shop. That would have made more sense. I feel like I was a bit cheated here with shops. Mm -hmm. Percy knows that whatever is chasing Grover is a monster because of the smell. He describes the smell as smelling like a skunk that's been living off of Mexican food, which is a choice. That is a distinct odor. Lightning flashes, the store explodes, and the monster yells, mine, and then you learn, oh, the monster is a giant seagull from Finding Nemo? No, it's it, we don't know what the monster is. Percy awakens bolt upright, which I think is at... Ah, ah, ah. Pretty great little uh, lightning reference there. We've got a dad joke on page three. Very excited. My guess here for whatever is chasing Grover, I'm guessing that it's a Cyclops just because on my cover of the book, there's a big eye behind a boat. Yeah. So I feel like... <laughs> I think you might have the addition that like when it first came out, because one of the things that attracted me to the series was the really cool artwork on the front. And the earliest version of Sea of Monsters, it's like, you know, them, you know, in their little quest, but you do see like that hazy eye in the background. And like, I've not necessarily considered Cyclops to be like scary, but I was nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I was nervous and I was like, hmm, okay. And so him chasing after Grover and just it was horrifying. Now, I will say, listening to the audiobook, this is something that the narrator does really well, is he's really good at making the monsters like have their own voice, but also be really terrifying. And I was listening okay. to it this morning, and I was like, me reading this, I would have been like, oh, wow, it's a nightmare. Grover's being chased. But like, I'm listening to it in the car this morning, and I was just like, oh, he's being chased. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Things are happening. <laughs> Uh, yeah, for reference, the cover that I have, there's a big eye and then three shadowy figures going across like a rope bridge. Yes. And then a old school looking boat on the river. So that's yes. all I know. I have intentionally not read the back covers of the book because thankfully I got pretty far into the lightning thief before looking at the back cover and the back cover things totally give away the plot twist. The second sentence on the thing in the back cover says, "Uh oh, he's the son of Poseidon. <laughs> Which, okay, you didn't reveal that until a couple chapters in, but okay, here we are. So I'm not reading any back covers, don't worry. But it is quite unavoidable for me to not look at the cover art. Unless I had a book series that had book jackets, but the used books I have are paperbacks. I definitely understand that because right before I purchased the fourth audiobook for the second series, I don't know what possessed me to do this, but... I went to go like just check the summary and make sure it was the correct thing oh, no. for the next one. And I was still listening to the third one. And the first sentence is X does X. And after this event, now X characters must whatever. And I was just like, why would you tell me? That? <laughs> right. After Chiron's tragic death. Like literally, yeah. <laughs> I was just like, how now I have to navigate the rest of this book knowing the mess that's awaiting me in this next one. Ugh, tragic. So Percy then thinks that he sees a human-like shadow in his window, but he loses sight of it as Sally warns him that he's going to be late for school. So we learn it is the last day of school, and Percy has not been expelled yet, which is very exciting and uncharacteristic of Percy. Mm -hmm. Percy grabs Riptide from under his pillow, and we learn that it has anaclusmos engraved on the side, which... 
raises a couple questions for me because when it was first described, Percy said it was just a plain, ordinary, black ballpoint pen that couldn't have cost more than 30 cents. So did Percy either not notice this or did Percy get it engraved or is this a retcon? Because this is not the way it was described initially. I'd like to think that at first he received a black pen, but after the adventures that him and Riptide have been through in the first book, Riptide was like, okay, fine, I guess I'll allow my name to be on this pen. And it just appeared. It's like Thor's hammer. <laughs> I like the thought of that. Either Anaclusmos has presented its full name on the pen, allowing Percy to see it. I also like Percy going to Hobby Lobby. and Or is that the bad one? Is that the one with the weird racist owners? He goes to Michael's. Uh, they're good, right? <laughs> and, As, you know, Michael's always has sales on knitting supplies, which is what I need. So I hope they're good. Yeah, I got to say, I've done this a couple Christmases in a row. If you want to get frames... Go to Michael's during the month of December. My goodness. Perfect. The buy one, get one free. The buy one, get one half off. Every frame. It's phenomenal. I made a killing at Michael's, and I pray that their owners don't do weird things. Didn't Hobby Lobby do some weird stuff like buying things and selling them on the black market of museums? Yes, they were uh, allegedly taking artifacts from like different parts of the world and trying to sell them in their stores, just regular cheap decor so like imagine you go into the hobby lobby and you say oh this looks like a cool paperweight but then you find out it's like a piece of like a stone tablet from the only known version of epic of gilgamesh or something like, that is wild that is so, so wild. rich people are wild they have a wild <laughs> story about them so i feel like i'd like to envision that Instead, maybe he went to like James Avery, which is what every Ooh. every Texas person does at some point. You get some gift from James Avery, you have to go in there and get them to. I say this as a former James Avery employee. Okay, uh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> and former Texas resident. That is something that it's just like a rite of passage. Oh, yeah. I went to high school in Texas, and let me tell you the number of James Avery necklaces or earrings that I got for my high school girlfriends. Ooh, that was the go to. Right in that high school price point where you spend enough to say, I like you, but not enough, where you're mortgaging lots of money on a relationship that's only been around for three months, and then they're going to break up with you after they cheat on you with some guy named Carlos at an event called Prom with Jesus. Yeah, that <laughs> happened to junior year Mike Schubert. <laughs> Oh my gosh, it's that. And you have to get them like an infinity scarf because that was popular at the time. Ooh, yeah. And you got to like wrap it up in an infinity scarf and give it to them in a gift bag. Man, that's a good, I should have done that. Maybe if I did that, my girlfriend would have cheated on me with some dude named Carlos at Prom with Jesus. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> if I, I should have, should have wrapped it in the infinity scarf. That was my downfall. Mm -hmm. Now. Percy thinks about uncapping Riptide, but something holds him back. He hasn't had to use it in so long. So, Though that is kind of sad, it means a relatively safe year. That's nice. Narrator Percy says, quote, Besides, my mom had made me promise not to use deadly weapons in the apartment after I'd swung a javelin the wrong way and taken out her china cabinet. Javelins are not swung. So any direction is the wrong direction. Javelins are thrown. They are like spears. So how do you... Why were you swinging a javelin, Percy? I was just thinking that, like, in my brain, I think I was thinking of a mace. Mm. And I was like, you know, I know I've heard of Javelin. I don't know who she is, but <laughs> now that I know she's a spear, I'd like to think that he was trying to practice all the moves that he learned at camp, but he didn't have anywhere to do it because it's New York and like you can't really go to Central Park and do that. So like right. 
maybe he was like, I can just do it in here. It's fine. I'm not going to throw it that far. And his mom is like, listen, (laughs) I've been a good sport about this. I've died and gone to the underworld. I've come back. Something has happened. And, you know, I'm a new woman now (laughs) as Mm -hmm. in comparison to the last books. So, you know, I don't have time for javelin throwing in my house. I'm sorry. I guess (laughs) I am thinking of javelin in terms of the track and field event where you just throw it. But I guess in the utility sense of a javelin, if you were a Greek demigod warrior of sorts, you would use it for more than just throwing. You would be able to hit some people, do some cool Donatello-style staff moves, and then throw it. So maybe he was practicing some of that. Mm -hmm. I am sorry, Percy, for making fun of you. Or maybe he was playing Hades the video game and got some ideas. Yo, that is not (laughs) one of the weapons in Hades the video game, but I would love that if there was a javelin. Oh, that could so be cool. very fun. I am kidding. There is a spear that's like tridenty looking. There is a spear. Yes. And that's a fun one. It's one of the weapons that I am not as proficient with, but it is very fun to use. I will say um, you have converted me. I will yes. be downloading Hades the video game at some point because I've heard so much about it. It's good. The amount of copies that I've sold and I've gotten zero commission for. I'm doing Supergiant such a big favor, but it's a really good game. I'm very excited about it. It feels like when I was getting peer pressure to watch Ted Lasso, like it was just everywhere until I could not dodge it. And I was like, But it's good peer pressure. Yeah, I was like, okay, I have to see what's going on because last year they cleaned up and got all these awards. Mm -hmm, What is going mm -hmm. on? And then I watched two episodes and I was like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. This makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yep. Good stuff. Good stuff. So Percy does the little three fingered claw over his heart and push outward move that Grover taught him to ward off evil. Shout out to me from earlier episodes of the New Olympian where he did that in Smelly Gabe's apartment and then the door closed and I thought Percy might have wind powers. So that's a fun little flashback moment that folks on the discord reminded me of. That is very fun. That's very cool. Percy realizes that his mom is right and he should be excited about making it a full year without getting expelled. And then tomorrow, afterwards, he will return to his favorite place in the world, Camp Half-Blood. Narrator Percy says, only one more day to go. Surely even I couldn't mess that up. As usual, I didn't have a clue how wrong I was. Master of the setup, Rick Riordan. My God. (laughs) The thing that I love about how this next chapter opens i like that the way that he does the recap of the last book he does it like you know he slips it in it's not as like and last summer i did this and did this and did this he's just like oh this is this way because i did this thing you know like i haven't seen grover since our adventures Mm -hmm. at wherever we were and i haven't had to use my sword riptide because there's nothing going on you know and like right my mom is being really patient with me and it's great because I thought she died. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's really artfully done and it's spread out to where you don't have a full page or a full paragraph of recap. This is something that angered me so much with the Harry Potter books. And I feel very vindicated because people would always say, oh, there was so much time in between the books. They need to recap. There are better ways to do it. And Rick Riordan is doing it because it takes place over the course of the first two chapters, but it's spliced in and it doesn't feel so so boring. I was worried reading it that I was going to have an entire chunk of the chapter where I just flipped the page because, yeah, I already read the first book. But you're right. It's done very artfully. And even when it's done, it's a sentence or two max. Yeah. And he's very good at making sure you're not out of the loop, but not making it boring for people who read the series or, like me, are fresh off of reading the first book. I love the foreboding kind of a thing where 
his mom is in the kitchen with him and both of them can clearly sense that something is not right with the other person, (laughs) but they're both kind of like afraid to ask. And I love that his mom knows where he goes. I love that she's kind of in on it, but I also love that she wants him to have like as much of a regular experience as he can. And I feel like you can tell that she doesn't want to worry him. Even when he says like, Hey, I had this nightmare. So I think something's going on with my friend. And she probably knows something, but she still is like, no, just go to school. Last day. (laughs) (laughs) And I love that he says, like, what I didn't know is I would not be back to my apartment in a long time. And I'm like, it's really good. It makes that scene (laughs) even harder when you know, like, this is going to be the last time he sees his mom for a while. At that point, you're like, okay, so what is going to happen that you can't meet your mom after school to Mm. go hang out and do whatever it was, buy a skateboard? (laughs) Yep, yep. Master of Suspense to make you want to keep reading the books, but also does a great job of selling the last book because he just kind of tells you enough where you think, ah, it sounds kind of interesting mm-hmm. without giving it away. Very fun. And does it in a way that doesn't spoil it. At no point does he say, last year when I accidentally stole a lightning bolt from Zeus because Ares put it in my backpack and I fought Hades, he doesn't reveal any plot to us. So there could conceivably be a world where you read the second one and then you go back to the first one and it's fine, which is cool. Yeah. So Sally makes blue waffles and blue eggs for breakfast because, of course, she absolutely bodies Smelly Gabe here. And she does this sort of blue food thing to celebrate important days as a way to signify that anything is possible. And look, it's page five and I'm crying. (laughs) I love that so much because it makes me think of how she was still trying to make sure that even when she was with Gabe, that Percy still felt like, you know she cared about him Mm -hmm. even amongst that situation. And I love that that is a a very consistent thing. I also love that given that one of his parents is a God and, you know, obviously having a kid cramps his style. (laughs) It's very cool to have a hero who like their parents don't hate them and they don't (laughs) toss them out on the streets or, you know, like something like that, like all of this other stuff is happening, but he still has that relationship with his mom and, She just wants things to go as well as they can go. (laughs) Oh, for sure. It's great. Sally's a true champion. Sally Jackson deserves the world. I love her so much. I will get a jersey with her name on the back. Yes, yes. So she consents that something is wrong. Percy relays that he thinks Grover is in trouble. And that's when I realized, oh, the nightmare might be happening in real time as opposed to a future premonition. Sally says not to worry because if something was wrong, they would have heard from camp in italics and she winces when she says the word camp and then percy asks about that and she says nothing which means it's definitely something Mm -hmm. so sally tries to cheer up percy by saying that this afternoon they will celebrate by going with tyson and then i just put a question mark who is this to rockefeller center to the skateboard shop that percy likes one this is incredibly 2006 of this book because 2006 skateboarding, come on, like this was Legolas skateboards down a set of stairs on a shield in the two towers. Everything was skateboarding in 2006. Tony Hawk's pro skater was the world. Yes. Also, this is incredibly 13-year-old boy of Percy because me, who was a 13-year-old boy for a month and a half in the year 2006, I turned 14 in 2006. I got a skateboard this year, maybe the year prior, maybe sixth grade, seventh grade, around this time, because I was very into Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, the video games, and I wanted to live out my kickflip-related dreams. But number three here, 
there's no way a skateboard shop would be in Rockefeller Center. It is not fancy enough. That would never fly. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And I think maybe it's because like I've been watching Hawkeye and Spider-Man. And at some point, those feature Rockefeller area plaza pretty heavily. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hmm, a skateboard shop at this specific location. I don't live in New York, but I feel like this is not a real place. I do. It's not maybe a real the place. skateboard shop is a trap. I'm going to think that the skateboard shop is set up by monsters to lure. Right. If it's got a very suspicious name, like the skateboard grandpa. Shop. <laughs> oh yeah. If it's just a plain name or like Auntie M's and Krusty's, it's someone with a very scary sounding name. Yes. That would make sense. The, you know, grandpa Gollum's house of kickflips. That's too scary. The stores that are in Rockefeller Center, it's Banana Republic, it's the Nintendo store, it's fancy places, it's stuff that costs more and they cater to a certain crowd. It's the Galleria, to be honest. Yes, gosh. Yeah, it's basically that. So there would not be. Also, there's no way they would put a skateboard shop in Rockefeller Center because then people would want to skateboard on the granite planters and such in Rockefeller Center. There's no way they would do that. So that is a little bit of, I have to check you a bit here, Rick. I do still think this is cool, but I just think the location doesn't make the most sense. Mm -hmm. Percy notices something off in Sally's voice, and he brings up to her that this plan differs from their original plan, which was to start packing for camp. And this is where Sally relays that Chiron reached out to her and told her that it might not be safe for Percy to go to camp just yet. They may need to postpone. And Percy's upset and confused, but he cannot continue this conversation because it's 7.30 and he has to go to school and he can't keep Tyson waiting. And I'm just screaming, who is Tyson at this point? But we will soon learn. (laughs) Percy doesn't want to drop it, but he sees that Sally has a fragile look in her eyes as if she is on the verge of tears. So he doesn't push back. Respectful King Percy Love that he's still doing this. I love Percy. I also would like to point out that there are some similarities, at least for me, coming up between this and um, Chamber of Secrets when Dobby just shows up. It's like, no, you can't go back to school. Sorry, I'm not going to tell you why. (laughs) And his mom, you know, it's something about this moment where Percy can see his mom is trying to hold it together, but there's something there. And um, I think the urgency of his safety is conveyed when she's like, it might not be safe for you to come back yet. Mm -hmm. Like just telling him like, you might not be able to go back right now, blah, blah, blah. As opposed to Harry Potter, where Dobby's like, you can't go back and I'm going to stop you. And I'm going to like do like magic around your family who hates magic. And I'm going to break your arm and you're not going to be able to run through the wall. And like, just, I like that they're looping Percy in early that something is going on and we don't know if it involves him yet, but it's a threat to his safety. So he knows about it. And I like that. I think in an appropriate parent fashion, they're being honest enough to say something is up, but not so forthcoming to say exactly what it is to terrify him. And I like that he is aware that something's happening. Yeah. It's a healthier approach for sure than Dobby trying to ruin Harry Potter's life to make Mm -hmm, sure he couldn't mm -hmm. go to school. Another reason that Percy didn't push back is because Tyson, who, as the narrator, he clarifies, is his friend, thank you, doesn't like to travel the subway alone, and Tyson would get upset if Percy wasn't there. And this makes sense. And at first I thought, he'd get upset? Like, what's the big deal if Tyson's mad? I soon learn what the big deal is if Tyson is mad. Mm -hmm. Before leaving, Percy asks Sally if the camp issue has to deal with what he said about Grover, and Sally says she'll explain this afternoon, which 1,000% means that it does. 
And then narrator Percy says, I didn't know it at the time, but my mom and I would never get to have our afternoon talk. Very ominous. And then he continues, in fact, I wouldn't be seeing home for a long, long time. Even more ominous. It is ominous because having read the rest of them and being where I am now in the next series, God, like him (laughs) saying, like, I'm not going to be home for a while. I'm like, Percy really doesn't get a break. I'm not going to lie to you. He does not get a break. Like, it's just the next few years, like, he has no chance to relax. Somebody's always on him. Like, I kind of feel bad for him in a sense. Yeah. The thing that has me the most interested is that long, long time could mean so many things. Right. It could mean the entire summer. It could mean more time. I don't know the next time he will see Sally. It's so open-ended to me that I have no idea how long it's going to be. And I'm very intrigued to figure it out. Percy steps outside and he looks, and this is another great Uncle Rick semi-subtle New York reference that I got to give him credit for. He looks at the brownstone building across the street and he sees a dark shape in the morning sunlight, a human silhouette against the brick wall, a shadow that belonged to no one. Then it rippled and vanished. And brownstone is a a good little reference. Oh, look at me. I know what the official slash street lingo name is for buildings that have stoops in New York City is. (laughs) I want to know who you thought this might be. So I didn't have a guess in chapter one, but very early in chapter two, I figured out who it was and I will reveal that. But at first, when it said rippled and vanished, I thought, "Uh uh-oh, is Luke spying on him? But then I reread it and I realized the shadow itself rippled and vanished, not that something else rippled and vanished, because we know Luke's now go-to move is pointing his poorly named sword into the sky, and then it makes a little teleportation thing for him to whoosh out of. So I didn't have a guess just yet, but the next hint that they drop in chapter two, I absolutely nailed it. But again, I'm 29. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the end of chapter one. We're actually at a good little point where I'm going to do a live nod to the mid-roll break where we will talk about some updates about the podcast and also cool sponsor stuff. Hello and welcome to this episode's Lightning Brief. First, I just wanted to thank everyone who wished me a happy birthday on the 17th. That was very sweet of everyone who did so. I very much appreciated it and it was just a very nice way to ring in 30, which is usually a big scary number, but I'm a happy grown man that's even more grown now. Second, if you've ever had the desire to see me perform a podcast live, specifically one where I poke fun at Harry Potter stuff, you are in luck because there's a couple Potterless live shows coming up in March and we will be announcing future dates for 2022 in the very near future, but for now, we've got shows in Nashville and Atlanta on March 3rd and 4th and Washington, D.C. on March 31st. If you want to get tickets to those, you can go to potterlesspodcast.com slash live and uh, get ready for the other announcements coming very soon. Next, I just want to thank everyone who is supporting the show on Patreon. We recently surpassed 900 patrons, which is absolutely wild. I'm going to be setting a new goal for 1,000 patrons. If we hit 1,000 patrons, I'm going to do a very special stream of Hades the video game. I will give more details on it in the future. Future, but I've been talking with Stephen Parra about something and it would involve me beating the game lots of times in a row in one stream. It's going to be very fun. So that is the 1000 patron goal. So if you want to help make that happen, head on over to the slash Patreon and join to get access to a whole bunch of bonus content and bonus features. And I want to thank the people who have joined the Patreon most recently. 
So shout out to our newest Ultra God Tier patron, Caden Mack. Shout out to our newest God Tier patrons, Sierra Gross, Yellow Wizard, Catherine Taylor, Discount Viking, and Brittany Benson. And shout out to our newest Demi God Tier patrons, Rem Diaz, Clara Darling, Lily Nicole, Lisa Hughes, Emrys Pratkey, Bluebell, Emily, Yomi Yomi, and a very special happy birthday shout out to Nessa, who is turning 21 today. And finally, a name correction for Joanna Meltzel. Speaking of support, want to thank Multitude for having us as a part of the collective. If you want to listen to some other podcasts, Multitude has a bunch. And also, there are a lot of podcasts that I help create with Multitude. One of those shows is Meddling Adults. Meddling Adults is a whodunit game show for charity where I am the host, and guests go head-to-head in a contest of solving children's mysteries from classics like Encyclopedia Brown, Scooby-Doo, and Shelby Woo. There's points for correct guesses. There's bonus points for silly answers and things that make me laugh. And you listening at home, you can play along with the show to test your sleuthing prowess against the greatest fictional teen detective minds of our generations. So if you want to listen to a fun show that puts some good into the world, search for Meddling Adults wherever you listen to your podcasts, or go to meddlingadults.com. And before we wrap up here, you'll hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of these ads will be read by me, others of them won't. The ones that aren't are inserted locally, so if you live in Sweden, don't be surprised if you hear a Swedish ad. And once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of The Newest Olympian. For six generations, the Jones family has been providing high-quality meats. And now, we're providing treats for the best member of your family, man's best friend, a.k.a. the goodest boys and girls. Jones Natural Shoes makes bones and treats that are sure to be savored by your dog and are made from the best natural ingredients available. Our flavorful chews are made from natural animal parts and will have your puppy drooling with happiness. From treats like sticks and chews to savory bones and patties, we've got you covered for finding the perfect reward for that special pup in your life. Jones Natural Chews come in all sizes, so make sure to choose the right treat for your pup. And remember, it's important to be supervising your pup when they're enjoying their treats to keep your puppy safe. Jones Natural Chews, available at a pet store near you. Or visit jonesnaturalchews.com to get started with our store locator tool. That's Jones Natural Chews. Available at a pet store near you. Wow, what a fun mid-roll. We're back and we're here to discuss chapter two. I play dodgeball with cannibals. Two for two, baby. Love this. (laughs) I love this as someone who watched Hannibal. I'm having a great time. I'm having a great time with this title chapter. I'm like, you know, this could mean so many different things. Right. I love how these chapter titles Whatever you think is going to happen nine times out of ten is not the thing that happens. Like, whatever you think is happening based on the title is not, you know. Mm -hmm. The first time I was reading this, I think I was like, oh, maybe, you know, the cannibals are just like a street gang or something. You know, like, (laughs) knowing Percy, I'm surprised he hasn't gotten into a tussle with some street toughs just yet. I was thinking, you know, his propensity to, like, say things and not. Because he does have a history of, like, saying something and then saying, like, I shouldn't have said that. It probably wasn't the smartest thing to say. And I'm like... (laughs) For the folks at home, Junia said, say things and then closed her mouth with her hand over it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now, I kind of got close with my guess here. My guess was he's playing dodgeball in gym class at school and then bad guys attack. So I kind of got there. We will see. But my reasoning for this was... In the first chapter, he talked about not having to use his sword, and he didn't even mention that he brought it with him to school, but later on he does have it in school. But I reread it, and at no point does he say, I brought Riptide anyway. The last we heard of Riptide, Riptide was left on 
the nightstand. But he does end up having Riptide, but I was afraid that he was going to be at school without it at all. But we learned that's not the case. I was too, until I remembered, I think in the first book, that it always reappears in his pocket no matter where it is. I guess, yeah, I guess that's what happened. He doesn't need to retrieve it off his nightstand. It's just going to show up back in his jeans. Yeah. Yeah. That makes me have questions if he's got multiple pairs of pants. If he's like me where I wear pants a couple of times before washing them, how does he signify these are the pants I need them to teleport into? I wonder how the rules break down. That would be so interesting because now I'm like, what if the pen materializes in a pocket that's too small for it? Does it like burst out? Does it shrink down? (laughs) Like what? (laughs) I have a lot of questions, Rick, whenever you're ready. This will get added to the list of very important questions I have for Rick Riordan if Mm -hmm. I ever get to talk to him. Uncle Rick, please come on the pod. Now, we learn Percy's school is called Merryweather College Prep, which is a perfect name for a stuffy, as Percy says, in quotation marks as the narrator, progressive school in downtown Manhattan. They sit on beanbag chairs instead of at desks. They don't give grades, and the teachers wear band t-shirts, rock band t-shirts and jeans. And this is the most 2006 way to try to describe a progressive school because 2006 was when, oh, did you know the people at Pixar ride scooters in between offices? Like, this was that. And this is the school version of that, for sure. I also think it's kind of cool that the school that Sally tries to send him to, at least for this year, is a school that doesn't take grades and, like, I just love that some part of her, I like to think that some part of her is like, you know, my son has had a stressful enough time. Right, right. Let me send him to a school where they sit on beanbag chairs and don't really get grades. And he kind of doesn't have to stress too bad because I think in the last book he was talking about how he hates school. Like he doesn't like it. He doesn't like a lot of Mm -hmm. his classes because of the complications that his dyslexia provides. And it's kind of cool that at least in this book he's at a school that seems like he doesn't seem like he has anything negative to say about it other than like this progressive school and these people who you know have community service projects and things like that i also think if it is a next level jedi mind trick from sally to get percy to like school i think it could work because percy kind of gets frustrated at the lack of grades and stuff Mm -hmm. so it could be this thing of ah I'll let him see that life is actually not so great in a world without grades. And now he will appreciate real school. So mm-hmm. it could be some super mom maneuvering from Sally. So Percy doesn't mind the progressive nature of the school, but he does mind that the teachers always look on the bright side of things, even when some of the kids aren't necessarily bright. <laughs> Fun little uh, play on words from Rick Riordan here. I thought that was really funny. I love that. It's for nothing more than like bright usually tends to mean intelligent and it seems like what he meant was like morally bright like these people suck as people (laughs) ah yeah another layer yeah Mm -hmm. so an example of the narrator percy provides is that the entire middle school had to read lord of the flies and the final was one hour of no adult supervision and the description of what happens is quite wild What happened was a massive wedgie contest between the 7th and 8th graders, two pebble fights, and a full tackle basketball game. I'm glad basketball got referenced, but tackling basketball? Yikes. 
The school bully, Matt Sloan, led most of these activities. And we learn Matt Sloan isn't necessarily big or strong, but he acts like he is, and the confidence is all you need to be a bully. He dresses in expensive but sloppy clothes as a way to show that he doesn't care how well off his family is. And he has a chipped tooth from a Porsche joyride gone wrong. So that's the uh, bully we're dealing with. A well-crafted bully. Yikes, yikes. Mm -hmm. Sloan was dishing out wedgies, but then he tried it on Tyson, and that is a big mistake. I thought it was a big mistake just because Percy is going to fight back, but we learn quite a bit about Tyson. First off, we learn Tyson is homeless, which I was not expecting at all. Percy and Sally believe that he was abandoned by his parents because he was so different. He's six foot three and, quote, built like the abominable snowman, but he's scared of everything. Percy says that he has crooked teeth, a strange voice, and his face is, quote, misshapen and brutal looking. This felt like a kind of harsh description of Tyson. I'm sure we will learn more about it. Right off the bat, I figured I'm going to hold off on thinking anything about how Tyson is being described because I feel like he's going to be some sort of Greek something, which is going to be the justification. I feel like he might not be actually homeless. I feel like maybe he has a reason to justify his size, his looks, whatever. But it was a pretty harsh description of this character who we've just met. I'm not going to lie. One of the things that like drives me up the wall about, I guess, Tyson as a character is the way that other characters tend to act around him or refer to him. Mm-hmm. He's minding his business. Like, why are y'all mm-hmm. leave this baby alone? He's minding his business. You see how he's like big and tall and keeps to himself and doesn't bother anybody else. I need everybody else to do the same thing. For sure. But I guess kids mm-hmm. and especially rich, fancy kids are not going to be nice. I just pictured like Kieran Culkin's character from Succession, but like oh. in teenager form as the Sloan character. Yeah, that could be pretty good. <laughs> The description of Tyson continues, he wore tattered jeans, grimy, size 20 sneakers, and a plaid flannel shirt with holes in it. He smelled like a New York City alleyway because that's where he lived in a cardboard refrigerator box off 72nd Street. Now, size 20 is quite a bit for someone who's six foot three because Shaquille O'Neal, who is seven foot one, he wears size 23. So to have... That big of feet for being six foot three, which is very tall for someone in sixth grade. But that's just he's a strange proportioned person. Those are very big feet. Now, with the whole alleyway, 72nd Street cardboard refrigerator box, I don't know. I was a little uncomfortable with this and I was thinking, shouldn't the school help him? Couldn't Sally take him in? Why is no one helping this kid? But then right after, narrator Percy kind of explains, the school adopted him as a community service project so the students could feel good about themselves, but most dislike Tyson. People began to pick on him when they realized that he was soft-spoken and Percy is his only friend and vice versa. So I'm thinking, all right, this is a similar Grover situation again, and not only in terms of the friendship, but also I feel like there's some sort of Greekness of it. I feel like he's probably not a satyr because he's so big. I don't know if he's a demigod. I don't know if half-blood for other things exist like can you be a half giant like Hagrid was in Harry Potter Ooh. so I feel like he's half something but I don't know exactly what just because I don't really know the rules of the world yet so I don't know what's a possibility I'm not saying anything but I Thank will you. say it's 
you will be shocked, but also not. And then you're going to be like kicking yourself for not catching it sooner. (laughs) Perfect. That's where I love to live. That's the most (laughs) fun place to live. So Sally has also complained to the school that they are not doing enough to help him. I appreciate this. She's called social services, but they have claimed that they could never find anyone in the alley that they describe. So this gives me more hope about the situation. I feel like he's some sort of Greek something. Maybe he's going somewhere. I don't know what's going on, but it feels like Tyson being homeless might just be a lie that he said to make things easier. So I'm withholding judgment here, but I don't really know how a good representation of a homeless kid would be in the books. So I'm just going to hold off before I try to say what I feel, because I bet in chapter three, we'll learn more about Tyson. (laughs) (laughs) I will say that the aspect of him like living in an alley, there is and also is not some merit to that. Okay. There's a reason for it. It's not the reasons you think. (laughs) Okay, okay. Because the other thing is New York, I got to say, New York does a very good job of having shelters in place for homeless people. People like to think that New York is just littered with homeless people all over the place. And compared to some other cities I've lived, like the Bay Area, San Francisco, that is a whole nother world. New York has a lot of different places for people to go overnight and be safe. Now, not all of those places are the most well-run facilities, but at least they have stuff in place for people to be off the street. Maybe Tyson's in one of those. I don't know what's going on, but that's at least my New York experience based on how things go. And there's a lot of great organizations that you can support that do a good job. So do that. Anyway, Sloan tries to wedgie Tyson, who gets spooked by this and swats Sloan, sending him flying 15 feet, which is a lot of feet, into a set of swings. And Sloan yells for Tyson to go back to his cardboard box, which makes Tyson very upset. Percy yells at Sloan for him to take it back. And then Sloan says, why do you even bother, Jackson? You might have friends if you weren't always sticking up for that freak. And that is a vibe because I got picked on not a lot in high school, but I definitely got picked on for standing up for people who got picked on. Mm -hmm. There was a fair amount of bullies in my high school that would pick on kids for no good reason. And... There was an example once where one of my friends was in study hall and he was wearing a hoodie and people were putting stuff in his hoodie while he was doing homework. And then I just told him, hey, people are putting stuff in your hoodie. And then everyone was like, oh, why'd you ruin the prank, Schubert? Because it's not a good prank. You're just putting trash in this guy's hoodie. It's study hall. Let him do his homework. What are we doing? It's not even like original. (laughs) No, it's nothing. It's so whack. So yeah, I definitely understand this bully dynamic. I didn't get picked on very much once I got like to middle school, but elementary school was very interesting. I got picked on in first grade. I don't really remember why. I don't think I was like up to anything, but like, (laughs) like, you know how like when you're little, sometimes there's like some kind of thing that you can point out and be like, I don't know. Maybe it was because I was reading Lord of the Rings or I don't know. Sure. Like, Something I was annoying. So regular. I was aggressively regular as a kid. <laughs> but in sixth grade, there was a day that a sub was in class and a student said some racist things. <gasps> and so I was reading Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix at the time. I threw it at her for the thing that she said. <laughs> so <laughs> That's a big book. That's yes. a big one. <laughs> yes. And so to this day, the book, it was a hardback. It has a giant crack down the spine that's been being held together by the same piece of duct tape I put there in 2006. <laughs> that's really good. It's like peeling off. It's terrible. But it was like purely based off that. And like, I guess at that point, I kind of cemented my reputation as 
you know, she's in her vibe. She's by herself. She's minding her business doing her thing. That would be such a great way if you wanted to become the most intimidating person at school. You're reading that book on the playground. Someone goes, oh, no, what happened to your book? And you just say, I threw it at someone who was racist to me. That's pretty powerful. Yes, it's a great villain origin story. I feel like I identify with Percy. I also think it's a huge testament to the kind of child that Sally has raised that he's very aware that hanging out with Tyson is not the popular thing to do. Mm-hmm. It's definitely not helping him socially, but he likes him. You know what I'm saying? Like Tyson, he kind of seems like Colin Creevy vibes. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's not obsessed with Percy in that same way, but like he kind of follows him around in that general sense. Yeah, I also was getting a bit of Neville vibes, but instead of Neville messing stuff up because he's bad at magic, Tyson messes stuff up because he's six foot three and has size 20 shoes. And even when he sits on the jungle gym when he's sad, he dents it. One of those kids that you just cannot process your limbs because you're going through puberty too rapidly. I'd like to imagine that this is what Hagrid was probably like. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Before he got kicked out of school for murder. (laughs) (laughs) False accusation. So Percy tries to hit Sloane with a comeback, but he can't because Sloane just stops listening to him. That's a pretty strong bully move. I gotta say, Rick Wright's a good bully. That is a powerful move. Percy notes that Sloane appears to have more goons around him than usual. And then Sloane says, just wait until P.E. Jackson. You are so dead. And then I was thinking, ah, yes, the aforementioned dodgeball cannibals. Mm -hmm. And I'm getting better at noting which lines are the ominous ones to look out for. I noticed he had more goons around him than usual. That to me read like it was in size 97 font. Clearly this is going to come up and it does. So the teacher at the end of this unsupervised hour declares, you all understood the Lord of the Flies perfectly and don't grow up to be violent people, please. This is so wild to me because in high school we had to read 1984 and my school actually did a 1984 like assignment week and so basically how it worked was our teachers gave us a pencil and a pen taped together and we could only use that the entire week and if we didn't it was like one of the rules and so we at the end of the week we're supposed to write a reflection on living under all these rules and how it's like 1984 but if we broke any of the rules they'd add 200 words to our reflection count so some of the rules were don't fall asleep in class don't use your cell phone in class okay whenever the morning announcements came on they would end it by saying comrade (laughs) and we all had to say it no matter what class we were in even if we were like the only senior in a class full of freshmen we had to do the whole thing it was so embarrassing and your friends could be the thought police but you didn't know who it was. So at the end of the week, they listed everyone's names with their word count next to it. And a lot of friendships crumbled. (laughs) This is actually great because I feel like that, unlike this, actually teaches you the point of the book because I had to read 1984 my sophomore year and I didn't really get it. Mm -hmm. I feel like we had to read it in a really short period of time. And the big project that we had for it, we had to write some big paper. I don't remember what it was about, but I do remember that the paper was assigned the Friday before Labor Day weekend. And I did family vacations on Labor Day weekends. So 
I had to write this really long multi-page paper over Labor Day weekend. I remember being in the hotel room with my parents. Everyone's asleep and I have the little desk lamp on the little desk on. I'm typing on my mom's laptop (laughs) and I'm writing this paper and it was so long and I already didn't like the book because I was 15. So how am I going to like this book? I didn't get, you know, the commentary it was going for. Mm -hmm. And then I remember turning it in. And I felt really good about the paper and I got the paper back. There was not a single red pen mark on it. No correction, no nothing. And I got a 94. Nice. And I remember asking my teacher, Mr. Nash, if you didn't give me any feedback, where are those six points, Mr. Nash? And he just gave me some vague thing of, oh, yeah, it was good. I couldn't like figure anything out, but like it wasn't a 100. It's like there was no notes. That's 100, Mr. Nash. Give what? me those like, six points before I, I this like, desk over. Right, like what? <laughs> I worked so hard over this over Labor Day weekend. And not because I procrastinated. You assigned this on Friday. And then I had to turn it in on Tuesday. Terrible. I was furious. And then it just made me hate the book 1984 even more. As you should. As you should. But I got to say, that thing your school did actually is like, that's pretty cool. And you're not going to forget the commentary that that book is trying to make. Absolutely. At the very least, I'm not going to forget what I had to do that week. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I couldn't tell you anything about what that paper was. I just remember getting that 94 and being furious. Yes, yes. So Percy consoles Tyson, who is worried that he might not be asked back to the school next year. Percy says everything will be fine. And then Tyson looks at Percy with such hope that it makes Percy feel horrible. He feels guilty because how can I promise this? I do not know that everything is going to be all right. So the next class they go to is science class, and the final is to mix chemicals until they make an explosion. This is a poorly run institution. That's a wild choice. I'm not going to lie. I would have passed with like a 5.5 GPA (laughs) 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 Because mixing something up until you like, but what are you mixing? Like, what happens if you make like mustard gas on accident in class? Like, and that's kind of what happens here because Mrs. Tesla, of course, her name is Mrs. Tesla. <laughs> I see what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, that's a uh, okay, Rick. It's not as bad as being Mrs. Science, but it is pretty uh, low bar on the easy last name to pick for the science teacher. We're gonna find out that Miss Tesla is actually like a Hephaestus kid. Who, like, <laughs> grew up and decided to pursue science. (laughs) Tyson is Percy's partner, and he accidentally knocks a tray of chemicals into a trash can, and then it makes an orange mushroom cloud. The class is evacuated, but they ace the final, and they were the first pair to ever do so in under 30 seconds. Lovely, lovely. Love to see it. Now they go to social studies, and Percy looks at a photo of Annabeth in Washington, D.C. that he has. He reminisces about Annabeth, and he wishes that she was here to make sense of his dream. But this heartfelt moment ends pretty quickly because Sloan and his goons come over. They rip the photo out of his notebook before Percy can close it, and then they start ripping up the photo itself and start making spitballs out of it. It's terrible. It's not great. And all I could think was, I'm so glad she emailed this picture to him. Because how messed up would it be if she mailed it and that was the only one he had? Mm -hmm. At first, I forgot about the email. I thought, how... I was a bit impressed by the bullies to turn a photo into a spitball because that would take a lot of spit. And then I remembered, ah, yes, email. It's probably printed out on some janky compact printer where, you know, when you used to print stuff and it would go, 
Uh-huh. <laughs> Knowing Percy, he probably didn't actually cut the white part of the page off of He just printed <laughs> out the whole thing and it still has like the address, the print address at the bottom. And he ran out of cyan for the last 20%. So the top of the picture is weird colors. The sky is magenta instead of yes, blue. Yes, yes. Maybe it's for the best that they tore it up because now Annabeth can like, yeah, uh, let me Photoshop it. And then <laughs> <laughs> or he can at least tell his mom, mom, we need more printer ink, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So Percy thinks that these kids must be visiting because they have. Hi, my name is tags on them and they have odd names. Their names on their name tags are Marrow Sucker, Skull Eater and Joe Bob. Incredible. No notes. All perfect. Great. As someone who used to sign into the library with funny alias names uh, in high school, like Sir Boots with Defer. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> That's good. Oh my gosh. Wow. That was my library alias name in high school because they just used to like let you sign in, I guess. But after a while, me and my friends were like, let's put something funny. So every time <laughs> we would come in and do something different. Man. Low was a jam that was very important to me freshman year of high school because I went to a very religious K-8 school where grinding was not allowed. Gotta leave room for Jesus. Ours said you had to leave room for the Holy Spirit. That's what they said. Uh, which I would always say, isn't the Holy Spirit a ghost? In high school, though, there was less chaperoning of it. So that's when I got introduced to grinding. And I'm pretty sure low, either it came out in eighth grade and survived into freshman year or it came out in freshman year. But that was like, I still distinctly remember going to my first dance and seeing people, everyone grinding mm-hmm. and that song being played. And that is just crystal clear salient memory right at the front of your brain yeah sir boots with the fur that's really good i've never had a good alias the closest i've ever got to doing that is there was one time when i was in austin texas and i was going to home slice the pizza shop and the person two people in front of me said their name was mike so i said okay i can't use mike i'll use my middle name for my order name i'll say joel and the person in front of me was named joel so it was just wild so i had to come up with some fake name on the spot they're like what's your name and i just went winston (laughs) trying to think of a name that no one else would have had what was great though was i ordered the same thing as mike a sausage slice and a cherry coke Mm -hmm. and they called mine out first for some reason yeah which is baffling. So it worked out because if I had said the same name, other Mike would have taken his thing. So shout out to my my glorious alias. Y'all would have had to duel for who gets to be the best Mike. Right. There could be only one Highlander. <laughs> and <laughs> I would fight him for it. So yeah, clearly these people are not humans. Mm-hmm. Marrow Sucker Skull Eater Joe Bob, no way. And even narrator Percy says, and this is again, it felt like it was in size 100. No human beings had names like that. Come on, baby, those aren't humans. Percy always has these moments where you can tell that he's seeing something. You're like, please put it together. Yes. Put it together. Come on, man. You're so close. You're so, so, so close. Now, a bit of a yikes moment comes up here. Yeah. This isn't great. If you don't want to hear the R word or discussion about it, skip ahead. It says these guys are moving here next year, Sloan bragged, like that was supposed to scare me. I bet they can pay the tuition, too, unlike your retard friend. And then Percy does not have a good comeback because he just says he's not retarded. And then he says, I had to try really, really hard not to punch Sloan in the face. There's so many different ways that I was like, oh, Percy. This is one of those things I was talking about with Tyson, where Percy sometimes feels like he's treating Tyson well, but he's not. And he's just treating him like less terribly than everybody else. But because Tyson loves him, he doesn't really notice it that way. And I was like, you could have just said like, 
don't call him that. Don't say that. Right. You know, or you could have just punched him in the face. You know, like just right. something. I was not fond of this. Like I was listening to this in the car and I was like, oh, Yikes. Right. Because the problem here is that Percy doesn't scold Sloane for using that word. He doesn't have the desire to punch him in the face because of the use of the word. But it's because he associated Tyson with the word. Mm-hmm. So instead of saying, you shouldn't say that about anyone, instead he says, no, Tyson's not the R word. And that was just bad. Maybe Rick has already talked about this. I feel like this is something where Rick Riordan, knowing the person he is now, I feel like this is something he wish he could take back. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he said anything about it. This is also very... 2006 of the book, the song Let's Get It Started that was not originally titled Let's Get It Started for a full calendar year before re-release in the year 2003. This is the world we were living in, so I kind of get that, but I was disappointed in Percy for not pushing back in the right way, Mm -hmm. but again... I'm sure this is a, ooh, I would take that back if I could now, Rick Riordan moment slash very 2006 moment. I also like to think that maybe because he's 12, that at least to him, this is the closest he could get at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, like maybe he was like, mm, he's not that, you know, yeah. but also like, it's like in that way where like a younger kid thinks that they're, <laughs> they're doing something, but they're missing a few steps. Right. But I really wish this could have been handled a lot better because mm-hmm. this on top of him being houseless and all of this other stuff. I'm just like, mm-hmm. I don't like the way everybody's treating Tyson. I just want to like put him in bubble wrap and protect him from everyone. Like I just want to stand right. in front of him. Yeah. And be like anybody who wants to mess with this sweet yes. angel baby yes. must first go through me. For sure. And I don't think that this is necessarily, oh, the commentary of this is what a 12 year old would say. Cause if you're trying to make that commentary and you're making a middle grade book, you got to make that super clear. It yeah. has to be very clear that that's what you're going for. So I don't think that's the case, but not holding this against Rick because I'm sure he wouldn't do this writing it past the year 2006. Yeah. So Sloan calls Percy a loser and promises to demolish him in PE next period. As Tyson and Percy are leaving, Percy thinks he hears a girl's voice whisper Percy, but he doesn't see anyone looking at him. And then I wrote, yes, because it's your friend Annabeth (laughs) who has an invisibility power hat that you know she has. It's one of those things that he must have forgot about because I forgot about it too. I didn't, it didn't click for me until he heard her saying his name that I was like, Ah. I can't believe I didn't know. And I listened to it again and I still couldn't remember who it was. Yeah. Once he thinks he hears a girl's name said Percy, I just boom, Mm -hmm. knew it. Mm -hmm. Didn't pick it up with the ripply shadow business, but with this, I totally got it. Percy though, not quite there. I also love that as soon as he hears a girl's voice say Percy, he knows it's her. And as soon as he hears the monster say Percy is Jackson, he knows they're monsters. I guess he thought he heard, like he thinks he hears it, but then he looks and no one's looking at him. And to be fair, I think he's in the locker room or heading to it at this point. So it's more believable that someone else would have said it. Whereas I think when he actually notices, he's completely alone. Mm -hmm. And then Annabeth says it and he makes the connection. So I get it. But I was quite keen to what was happening. Look at me, a 29 year old man. (laughs) So smart. I love that he is so like sensitive about his name and he knows that when people say his full name, they're probably not his friends because nobody calls him. Nobody ever, like not even his parents, one of whom who is a God ever calls him Perseus. So like the fact that anyone is calling him that he knows off the bat, this is a bad person. Yeah. And anyone who is getting his attention, you know, and at least not yelling at him or something and calling him Percy is probably like he recognizes that 
this might be someone I don't really have to worry about. Right. I have a similar situation. My red flag goes up anytime someone calls me Michael because literally no one calls me Michael except for my mom. My dad calls me Shubes. It is very, (laughs) (laughs) very much a one person use thing. So when someone else calls me Michael, something's up. Mm -hmm. So I can totally get it. Now, Tyson and Percy are about to go to gym class, and gym class is going to be a whole situation, and we do not have time to discuss this, so we're going to end this episode here, and we'll pick this up next time. But, Jania, thank you so much for joining, talking about this first chapter and a half. If people want to find you doing stuff, where can they find you doing stuff? They can find me doing stuff on Twitter at TheLady underscore Artemis. I do have my podcast, House of Black Podcast, which I just announced yesterday is wrapping up and coming to a close. Uh, but still, podcasts, they live forever. So you can listen to the old stuff. They do, and they will still be able to be listened to. I'm very excited about that and just excited to see where the year takes me. Yes, agreed. Let's hope this year can be better than the past two. Please. The bar is the floor. (laughs) Come on, 2022. The bar's the floor. Yes, the bar's in hell (laughs) at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, Jania, thank you for joining listeners. Thanks for listening. And until next time, as we figure out what the heck is going to happen in PE class. Oh, boy. It's a whole heck of a lot. I'll see you later. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The New Stolympian. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schubert. I also run the social media and the website. Our editor is Sherry Glow. The music is by Bettina Campamanas and Brandon Google, and the art is by Jessica E. Boyd. If you're all caught up on the show and you don't know what to do, first, you could go to thenewestolympian.com slash Patreon, join the Patreon, and get access to a bunch of bonus content, bonus episodes, director's commentary, and more. Or you can follow the show on social media. We're at New Stolympian on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We've got a subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash thenewestolympian, and the Patreon gets you access to the patron-exclusive Discord. Speaking of that Patreon, I want to thank our producer-level patrons. Lada Bartova, Kelsey Gillespie, The Damn Steam Nuggets, Emma Cooey, Vicky Garcia, Ellie Hoskovchova, Veronica Bartova, Natanya Page, Haley Hastings, Robin Garcia, Frida Vickstrom, Megan Moon, Tough Beifong, Moo Moo Productions, Don't Call Me Nymphadora, Olivia Y, Craig McRoberts, Griffin Dork, Taylor Payne, Giselle Salvador, Minka Driesen, Can't I See We Brain, Matt Barger, Peter Johnson The Twin, Sabrina Balsiger, Mooney B, Bony Pony, Harlan Christ, Heather McMillan, Casey Canales, Polly Burridge, Nikki Harris, Tatiana Schmidt, Sandra Rose, Bridget Lowry, Aiden Lippold, Josh Sayer, Percy Blue, Josh Wilkie, Martin Anvik, Abby Ryan, Josh Clements, Angela MF, Mary Baumgartner, Shannon Yvonne's Aguilar, Wise Girl, Alpacas or Hope, Finn TZ, Ribbon Monstrosity, Samantha McNamara, Tate Sasson, Emil Oscar Thomason, Roxas 1912, Rafaela, Ashton Gabrielson, Cara Moren, Marco Redhouse, Falcon, Joey James, Christopher William Boucher, Justin Lux, and Caden Mack. If you want to support the show non-monetarily, spreading it via word of mouth goes such a long way. If you think of someone that would like the show, why don't you reach out to them directly and say, hey, there's this podcast called The New Olympian. I think you would like it. Or you can just post about the show on social media or leave us a rating interview on whatever podcast app you're using. All of these things really help. And I'm very appreciative to those of you who decide to do so. But I'm just appreciative to you for listening to this episode. And I hope you tune in to our next episode as we complete chapter two and discuss chapter three of the CF Monsters with guest Sarah Shackett. But until then, I'll see you later. Hello, how's it going? It's me, ASMR Mike. I am back in New York City. I'm recording this one from my bedroom, and it is nice to be back home after a lot of travel. Obviously, my trip to Italy was a blast and a half, but when it takes basically an entire day to get home, 
uh, you become very happy to be home. While I was in Italy, I did try to take a voice memo one morning. There were some birds chirping very sweetly outside of my window, and I took a voice memo on my phone, and I don't know if it'll come through, but if it does, here is bird chirping noises, and if it doesn't, here is Italian room tone until we hit one minute of ASMR mic audio. Thank you so much for listening. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.